You do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You go ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Yeah, boy! Glad to have you with us here on a Wild Wednesday midweek edition. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Yes, you know how we do this here on a Wednesday, middle of work week, hump day. All right, Trevor Maddich will be joining us. We'll dive into the college football scene for this weekend. Technically, I guess week number three of the college football season, right? We got that going on. We'll talk a little NFL with Trev as well, too. And then, of course, you've got uh, our good friend Sam Gordon will join us next hour. We look forward to that. Sammy did a fantastic job writing about the Aces because tonight is... The night, as I like to say, the march or the road to eight. We know what eight means, right? We've been talking a lot about that last couple of days. Nikki Vargas and uh, Asia Wilson. Eight means what, Numchuck? Eight till a championship, baby. There you go. Eight wins away, baby. Eight to ship. There you go. Ooh, eight to ship. You got to be careful how you say that, though. You never know. Ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pop those peas, baby. Um, yes, eight victories. So round one starts tonight, the quarterfinals, best two out of three. Aces take on the Chicago Sky. Remember, the game tonight is at T-Mobile Arena again. All right. Just coming off of the fantastic game and crowd that we saw on Sunday for the regular season finale, where the Aces defeated the Phoenix Mercury 100 to 85, closed out the regular season with their 34th victory, 17,406 in attendance Sunday afternoon at T-Mobile Arena. We'll see how big the crowd is tonight. Another uh, big crowd is expected. 7 o'clock tip-off, 6.30 pregame show. And if you're watching it uh, in person, get there at T-Mobile Arena. Look forward to seeing you out there. If you're going to watch it on television, tonight's game is on ESPN. Okay, make that note. On the radio side, changing up a little bit, we're over on Fox Sports, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. So there we go. VGK station uh, coming up, my old station there uh, tonight, 630 pregame show, myself, Becky Hammond, and Asia Wilson, and then we tip it off at 7 o'clock. It's the championship radio station. That's funny because that's what they're calling it. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's what it should be. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, yeah, we're going kind of going back and forth. We've uh, Most of the games, of course, on ESPN Las Vegas, uh, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. And then, uh, again, uh, tonight, uh, occasionally we get moved over to 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. So check it out and join me for that. Uh, looking forward to it. T-Mobile Arena tonight for the Aces and the Chicago Sky Game 1. Remember, so the first round series, best two out of three. Then the second round, which is the semifinal round, three out of five. And then the same thing with the finals, best three out of five. Uh, Things will get stretched out because of uh, every game will be on either ESPN, ESPN2, or ABC. Uh, Sunday's game, which will be game number two, that'll be a 12 noon start 
just like it was last Sunday. That, that'll be back at Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay, and that game will be on ABC. So there you go. That is your Aces schedule. And like I said, it'll be spread out. The finals uh, will be right around the first week of October, so it could stretch out to the championship. So if you are uh, got your calendar out and you're planning parade dates, maybe that's what we should do. We should predict the parade date. Would you like to predict a parade date right now before the playoffs start? They start tonight, game one, quarterfinals, three rounds. Get on my calendar. Let me see here. What do you want? You want to try to predict a parade date? And do you remember what day of the week the parade was on last year? It was like a Thursday or something last year, wasn't it? Are you going to make me go back and, and look at my photos? I think it was the Thursday. I, I'm curious. So I've got to go back and look. I, I definitely have to go back and look. Let's see. I know it was a weekday. I kind of want to say it was a Friday. I think it was a Thursday, buddy. Wednesday, Thursday Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think. All right. Because I could tell you we won the championship in Connecticut on September 18th, which was a Sunday. Pretty sure about that. So I got that. And here you go. The date of the parade. Drum roll, please. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was quick, man. September 20th was the parade, which was. You said we that you won it on. We won on the 18th. I remember so that. that. Would, so. That would have been a Tuesday? Two days later. We had the parade. Thought, you know why they did that. I remember because they had to go. They, a bunch of the women were going. Uh, we're, oh, we're leaving. We're leaving to go overseas. We're, we're yeah. leaving. Yeah. For, to, for the Olympics. For the Olympics. Yeah. Or no, the world championships. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Because 20, Same thing. The, 20, the 2020 Olympics were played in 2021. Last year was 2022. And then that was the world championships. Yeah. Yeah. Team USA was going. You're right. So. Um. Yeah, yeah, because is that right? That's right. Yeah, it is. Because I'm looking at my Fenway Park, and I went to Fenway Park on the 17th. Tuesday. 17th was a Saturday, though. Pretty sure I went to Fenway Park on a Saturday. Where's my calendar? You have the 2022 calendar? I'm looking. It, it, I, I just typed in. 2022. Something. I'm going back. This is great radio. Yeah, I was just going to say that. This, We're all people, just... going, people going, what the heck? You don't know. No, I mean, yeah. What does that really matter, right? Okay, so, so 2022. We Saturday went, was yeah, the I was 17th. Right. 17th. Oh, yeah. Duh, the, the 18th. 20th. Yeah. 18th was we uh, Aces defeated Connecticut. Game four. And the parade was on Tuesday. Tuesday the 20th. Okay. So now if we look ahead, congratulations. I don't know what you win. Probably nothing. You get nothing to like it, Spalding. Good. All right. So we're going to do the the look ahead here. So give me the prediction on, on what day is a parade going to be. And is there going to be a parade? There's going to be a parade. Guarantee you there will be I, a parade. I, I'm banking on a parade too, my friend. I am. I'm going to say, well, let's see. The latest game, if there was a game five, would be October 20th. If everything... Oh, you're cheating now. No, I just looked at the, at the playoff schedule. You did look at the playoff schedule. Yeah, just to see yeah. what, what the yeah. latest 
what like what like that game five would be. Yeah. Okay. Halloween parade. Is that what you're trying to say? That yeah. that is kind of lengthy. You know, it, it is definitely lengthy because these series are going to be spread out because they want every game on ESPN, ESPN two or ABC. So, so it, they have the final set as October eighth, eleventh, and fifteenth are your first first three games. Right. So then you would have seventeenth, twentieth. So no, eighteenth and twentieth. Eighteenth and twentieth. So parade in game five would be here if there is a game five in the finals. So couple days later you turn around parade how about we win it october 18th okay parade or october 20th which would be game five if there was a game five but we got travel in there because game four would be in new york or that's what i'm saying so if we if everything's set up and they go by the schedule game four yeah of the finals would be october 18th okay why are you married to october 20th for some reason no think of let's hear it let's hear it think of the uh think of it what was September 18th? Won the championship. So you're, you're in the 18th mode. In the 18th 20th and mode, the 20th. 18th and 20th. Just a month later. Is just that, a month later. Is that where you're going with and that? And then, yeah. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Plus, that's game four. I mean, that's... So, uh, yeah. So if it does go five, parade... I think they give it an extra day or two for the parade. So maybe 23rd. Maybe a Wednesday. Or Thursday. It is probably good to have a weekday game. So you know where I was getting confused because the Golden Knights had a weekend. Saturday. That was a Saturday. They did the Saturday for the parade. Okay. So we did Tuesday and Golden Knights did Saturday. All right. So your guess is so right now, this, mark it down. This you're, would you're, be Wednesday. You're calling you're calling I'm calling championship on the eighteenth. Okay. Of a, it's a Wednesday. Four games. Yeah. And then Friday the twentieth, mm-hmm. a parade. Okay. I would like to win at home this time. All right. The, the being on the road last year was cool. And say, if it is New York, that'd be kind of cool. Celebrate back there, Barclay Center. But I think it's time for the fans, the home fans to get, uh, a little taste of that and celebrate on the home floor. That's what number three is for. That's the third time the charm. Oh, that's what you're going with. Yeah, Becky. So you're already calling, I'm back calling to back you to out, back. Becky. Back to back to back. Uh, Becky would love you. Yeah. If she only met you, though. I mean, that's another story. Ah. Okay, why'd you do this to me today, Chuck? I didn't do anything to you. You did. You did. You went in your closet. You pick a day. I've been running all day today. No time for lunch today. And you're wearing a burger t-shirt. So I've got to stare at you with, it says Burger Club and a picture of a a violet looking burger. It's a Fuku burger. Okay, we'll give them some love, even though I've never had a Fuku burger you before. You need to go have them. Trust me. What do you, what do you, what do you uh, order 10 a month and you get a t-shirt? I mean, how do you get a t-shirt? Know the owner. You, you, no, <laughs> so wait a minute. Did you purchase the t-shirt or did he give it to you? No, I purchased it. You purchased it? I purchased it. Okay, I was going to say. You know, because Marco D'Angelo was here to give you a bad time. You know, I know. You know. Oh, cool. But it's not a, it, it wasn't a, a comp t shirt. I haven't gotten anything comped from them. Really? Yes. And I, and, and I know the owner. And I will say this too. When you go to Freddy's, I mean, you don't even like try to drop my name or I mean, you, you, you pay. I pay. Ah, oh, you're, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. No wonder they love you over there. You're a burger guy. I am. How often do you have burgers? Once or twice a week, probably. That, then you're not a real burger guy. If you're a burger guy, you, you go like four times a week, five times a week. 
Are, are we counting McDonald's as a burger? <laughs> no. God. Okay, good. Because <laughs> why does that know, does that up? I mean, that ups it, but oh, that's why I'm saying I'm not. You're you're regular there. Yeah, I'm okay. not a regular there. It's just. Oh man! All right. So today, like I said, uh, Trevor Match will join us here coming up this hour. Talk a little college football. Talk a little NFL as well. And uh, Sam Gordon, we will talk aces. Get ready for the playoffs and game number one tonight. So um, let's start with the breaking news, even though it's not breaking news. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers suffered the torn Achilles tendon on the fourth play. We talked a lot about that yesterday. That was Monday night, right? Get the Jets and the Bills. Zach Wilson came in in relief. Was not great. But Robert Sala said this, all right? He did say this yesterday and said, uh, Zach Wilson is our guy. So everybody out there that's suggesting, Hey, bring Matt Ryan out of so-called retirement. All right. Colt McCoy, bring him in. Um, find another quarterback. And Robert Saul's going, no, we're going with Zach Wilson. He's our guy. Jets fans have, tur- have turned upside down, even though they got that victory the other night, but they know they're smart football fans. They know that they were lucky to win that game. It took four Josh Allen turnovers, and I would say two of the four are probably credit to the Jets. One interception, not so much. Definitely the fumbled snap. That's on Josh Allen. You know, they're in the fourth quarter. Bills win the coin toss in overtime. Can't move the football. Then the Jets get a punt return from Xavier Gibson, 65 yards to win the game. Jets fans got the win, 1-0. Okay, fine. But now I think they're coming back to reality saying, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough with Zach Wilson. But if I'm Robert Sala, I agree. I'm with him. Now, just because you have a guy with a bigger name like Matt Ryan or Colt McCoy, who's been in the league forever and has played with a dozen teams, they have more experience than Zach Wilson. I get that. But this was your number two overall pick. He was your first round draft pick going back, what, what, three years ago? Uh, Obviously, you don't think that much of him because you did everything you could to get Aaron Rodgers to make sure that Zach Wilson was not your quarterback. Traded Sam Darnold away because you, they were just sick and tired of these high draft picks, you know, busting out. And it looks like that Zach Wilson is going to flame out as well, too. But with all that being said, this is a guy who you drafted. He knows your system. He's been in your camp behind Aaron Rodgers. So he probably is the best guy for the job. Matt Ryan has not been good the last th- at least three seasons, playing with the Falcons, then playing with the Colts last year. And the change of scenery really didn't do Matt Ryan any good. Uh, it was hard for him to get out of the pocket. Wasn't the most accurate, even though he has a history of being a very accurate passer. But I'm not sure that you want to start from scratch. You are into your season now. We are into week two of the NFL season, and now you're going to contemplate about bringing somebody else in and not only 
bringing him in, but making him your starting quarterback immediately, well, you guy's going to need at least a week or two to get caught up to speed with this playbook. And plus, the guys you're talking about are out of football right now. Matt Ryan, Colt McCoy, uh, Carson Wentz. Let's throw that name in there as well, too. Okay, So those three guys would probably be the most likely if the Jets were going to sign a quarterback. Now, we know other injuries are going to happen here in the next coming weeks, so these three names will probably get a lot of play with somebody else as well, too. Now, if you're one of those three guys, and all three guys came in with kind of high expectations, even Colt McCoy coming out of Texas, you know, he was the guy that they thought, okay, this guy could be pretty good. Racked up some very good numbers in college. But he's been in the league, like I said, forever. I think Colt McCoy's been in the league for what, 12 or 13 years. So I'm just not sure that any of those guys are better than Zach Wilson. Now, do they have better career stats? Yes. Let's remember this about Zach Wilson. <sighs> Even though I just got done saying that he might be your best option. This guy had the lowest completion percentage of anybody, any quarterback last season, right? under 55%, the lowest. His passer rating in the game on Monday night was 81.4, which wasn't very good. But when you look at opening week NFL quarterback passer ratings, how about this? 77.5 for, oh, the reigning Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen, horrendous with his four turnovers. Three interceptions, one fumble. Monday night against the Jets. 62.7 was his passer rating. Joe Burrow, right? Contemplated one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. 52.2. How's that? So yeah, you could look at it maybe one week. Wilson didn't panic. I'll say this. He really didn't panic, had some happy feet, and played okay. Numbers weren't great, but I think when you're looking at the complete body of work, he's just not a guy that you have a lot of faith in. But the Jets are going to have to be one of those teams like the Baltimore Ravens have been, you know, where way back when. Even the Philadelphia Eagles a few years ago, you know, when they won a Super Bowl, they had Nick Foles, right? You had Carson Wentz, you had Nick Foles. I mean, you know, you go back to that Baltimore Raven team, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl and did just enough to win, just didn't make any mistakes. So obviously that's what you have to look at with the Jets mantra here. Because the defense is as good as advertised. There's no question. They were good last year. Robert Saul is a defensive coach. The reason why he got that job in New York, because he came over from San Francisco as the Niners, uh, you know, defensive coordinator. D'Amico Ryans over, took over for him, defensive coordinator with the 49ers. And what happened? D'Amico Ryans gets himself a head coaching job with the Houston Texans. And the Texans defense played pretty darn well, even though they lost to the Ravens. Was it 22 to nine? They, they played decent. So a defense can carry you in the NFL. It really can. You just got to make sure that your quarterback doesn't implode. So 
Yeah, so for Robert Sala to say, Zach Wilson's our guy, let's go with him, it really probably makes the most sense. Now, that could change over the next three, four weeks, especially if Wilson throws in some passer ratings of you know 60 or 70, then maybe he he's gone and because they really don't have a, a backup behind him, a decent backup at all. So we'll see about that. Other breaking news today was pretty interesting. That the NFLPA, NFL, uh, National Football League Players Association, is speaking out after the Aaron Rodgers injury. And we talked about this on the show yesterday. And now the NFLPA is speaking out saying they want the NFL to install all grass fields. Mm. That Aaron Rodgers injury, talked about it yesterday, you can't blame the turf. Okay, That was new turf that they put into MetLife Stadium. Brand new turf, and you had two games after they just installed it a few weeks earlier. All right, the Giants played the Cowboys on Sunday night, rainstorm, and then Monday night, dressed it up differently, took away the red, white, and blue of the Giants and put the green and white of the Jets on, and that turf did not look good. It's field turf, which means it's artificial turf. Now, there are several different brand names, okay? So what they have at MetLife Stadium there in New Jersey, home of the Giants and the Jets, it's called field turf. But I was looking at that that night because I didn't get a chance really to see the Giants in the Cowboys game, so I didn't see the turf. But when I was looking at that turf before the game started, I'm going like, you could tell this is new. And when you have new field turf, it really doesn't have much give. And when Rodgers went back to plant, there, there was no give there. Is grass safer? No question it is. Is grass easier for the body when you fall? No question it is, but it does, you know, have a lot more give, especially for the quick planning that you see in football. So why do so many stadiums have field turf? Answer is pretty simple. The whole reason this thing went there 30, 40 years ago, because it's more cost effective. NFL is all about saving money, all right? Because you can institute the old AstroTurf, and if you go back to the cookie-cutter stadiums, Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh and Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati and even Candlestick Park where the Niners played, I've been on some of those fields, and it's like playing on cement. And we hear a lot of our guests, you know, former players are retired now, and they say just just brutal, right? Soldier Field was that way. Uh, just cement, you had cement, and then you put this thin layer of, of carpet, basically. That's what it was back in those days. No give, no nothing. And that's why you saw so many injuries. That's why concussions were such a big deal, especially playing on that surface, the AstroTurf, field turf, whatever you want to call it. It was really it was AstroTurf back in the day because that's where it started in Houston. So you compound that in cold weather in these below freezing games makes it even worse. Grass, sure, can get muddy, it can get torn up, and then you have to spend more money replacing fields, right? We still see stadiums like whatever they're calling it now, used to be Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, just terrible. 
Kansas City was bad for many, many years. It was one of the better ones, though. I'll say that. Uh, Cleveland was never really good, but there were a lot of grass fields. You know, Tennessee was one that got chewed up a lot as well. So you have that dilemma. If player safety is the ultimate concern, as Roger Goodell always says, right? Player safety is the ultimate concern. And he just said it again the other night after Aaron Rodgers tore his ACL. I mean, tore his Achilles. I'm sorry. Then it's a no-brainer. You put grass in every stadium. But the reason why you have so many of these fields that are field turf, because you could lay that thing down and you could play on that same turf. It used to be at least like 10 seasons, 10 years. But now they like to replace it every maybe four to six years. It's an average of of five years because it's a cost-cutting move. Because with grass and turf, you have to maintain it. You have to cut it. You've got to water it. You got to do all of that stuff. And then you've got to replace it. As we've seen many grass fields, they will go through maybe two or three even renditions during the course of a season, especially if a team makes the playoffs. But right now you've got, I believe, almost, I think it's 10 or 11 artificial surface fields, something like that. But if, if the, if it's player safety, players are screaming out today. Yes, we want to play on grass. Grass is safer. Well, here's what we've learned about the NFL, especially over the last, say, 20 years or so. You're not hurting for money anymore, right? Not hurting for money. I mean, if you can outfit teams in goofy new uniforms just about every week, so we can go ahead and throw these uniforms in the stores where fans can go buy them, you know, for marketing purposes. If you could do all this nonsense, then you could spend the money and upkeep these grass fields. That's what you can do and make it safer. And then this argument doesn't even come up. Now, is that the whole reason that Rogers got hurt? All these players? No, but again, if it's if it's safety you're looking for, play on grass. Make sure you play on good grass. Make sure it's taken care of. It's manicured. And so if you got to replace it, so what? As much money as these teams are making, and especially the NFL's making, yeah, everybody can get grass. Bermuda grass. Kentucky bluegrass. Those are the two most most popular ones. All right. But yeah, we we go down the list here. Um again, there there's a lot of field turf core. That's where kind of everyone's going. That's what New England has, that's what the Jets have, obviously the Giants. Uh Superdome has a little bit different type of thing. I think it's like a that's a called a turf nation. Everyone has like their own you know, concoction of, of how they make this. I think there's like four or five different brands out there. There's a, a Helis, uh, Matrix Turf. That's what they have at SoFi Stadium. So, but the bottom line is they're all artificial turf and they're supposed to be tested out. And sure, there's going to be injuries no matter what, if it's grass or turf. But I do like it. The, the idea 
of everybody going to grass. I think that just makes it much better. But that's what the NFLPA is screaming at right now. All right. 17 NFL teams play home games on artificial turf. That's across 15 stadiums. So that makes sense because we have dual. So I was pretty close. But yeah. So you got the Rams and the Chargers share a stadium. And of course, the Giants and the Jets share a stadium. So there you go. All right. We'll discuss this more with uh, our good friend Trevor Maddich. I'm sure has an opinion on this. So we'll get his opinion on the Rogers injury and the grass versus turf um, debate. But we'll talk some college football with him as well. Another big weekend of college football ahead. We'll talk Aces next hour and a whole lot more as we get ready for the playoffs tonight. Game one at T-Mobile Arena. Glad to have you with us here on this Wild Wednesday. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations. More weekend traditions. More family dinners and lunches. More car picnics and road trips. More desserts. Maybe more second desserts. More celebrating being together as much as we can. There's always room for more good and more Freddy's. Keep the good going with a taste that brings you back. Michael Jackson won by Cirque du Soleil is hailed by Rolling Stone as a virtual parade of wow moments that immerse the audience into the world of Michael Jackson's music. Performing weekly at Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino, Michael Jackson won celebrates the musical legacy of the King of Pop. Looking to elevate your night? The new Michael Jackson won. VIP experience is now on sale. Get your tickets today at MJ1.com. Who's bad? There is no better place for great food and fun than Slice of Vegas. Slice serves hand-tossed New York-style pizza, Italian pasta, and savory sandwiches. Slice is an official partner of the Las Vegas Aces and home of game day watch parties. Come to Slice and enjoy our big screen TVs, full bar, and laid-back atmosphere. Slice of Vegas, located in the shops at Mandalay Bay Place, inside the mall between the Luxor and Mandalay Bay. Come in and enjoy a slice of Vegas. Come and experience the high-action entertainment at the best race and sports book. It's the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. The largest in the world with 30,000 square feet of heart-racing action with 350 seats and a massive 220-foot by 18-foot 4K video wall. Experience live sporting events like nowhere else and see the T.C. Martin Show live every Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. where T.C. and his famous guests preview and handicap the weekend's action. There is no better place for all your football action than the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. Relax and enjoy the games and the fully stocked bar, free Wi-Fi plus cocktail service and convenient food options at the court. Experience it all at the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. Hey, this is Robert De Niro and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. Don't forget to join us at the Westgate Las Vegas Inside the World Famous Superbook each and every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. My tag team partner, Marco D'Angelo, is here on Mondays and Fridays. He's there. Jay Cornegay, the vice president of sports book operations of the Superbook. John Murray joins us as well, too, the executive director. And plus a plethora of guests rolling in to the Westgate on Friday. Come out, see the show live. And, of course, remember, the best bets are back. Of course they are. 
And our next guest is a, a big participant with that, Becca, with us, I believe, I don't know if it's year three or four, and he takes it very serious, as we well know. The one and only, Trevor Maddich. Of course, you can see him and hear him on ESPN television, radio, all the above. But more importantly, on the T.C. Martin Show. What's going on, brother? Trevor Maddich. Take two. T.C. Martin. <laughs> I always liked your intro, so I started to hear it again. That's all. Uh, you, were, you were undefeated on your college Picks though you were you were three and zero. I was three and zero. Come on, Numchuck. Do I get something? Do I get the bell? Do I get the applause? Do I get something? Come on. He's gonna be sarcastic. Oh no, it's good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, now, Trevor, were you on the line when when Marco made the uh, the wager with me that he actually initiated us? Were, were you on? Were you on with this? That when he did that, well, yeah, yeah, because because one of the things that he bet you was he was going to give you a Lamborghini if you beat him this week. <laughs> there you go. See, I forgot about that part, but yeah, he and he. I believe uh, I was three and zero, and he was zero and three. Is that right, Mister Scoreboard in Watcher? College, yeah, in college, yeah, 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 yeah. So he he owes you three Lamborghini. Yeah, I like that Lamborghini. Are you a Lamborghini guy? No, I can't even get in a Lamborghini. <laughs> Are you kidding? Lamborghinis are for uh, people that are can fit in them. Uh, all right, my friend. So uh, you were with me. Like I said, we we tag team. So high five uh, across the country to you uh, for Washington State. We both had uh, Washington State. Uh, I really did like your UCF pick over Boise State. And uh, then you had Texas State to, uh, getting 13 and a half against uh, Texas San Antonio. How'd that work out for you? Yeah, the Texas State uh, we won. I was two and one in the college, and um, the uh, but UCF, oh, mm. they uh, they kind of laid an egg up there in Boise. They won, but they didn't, no, no, they didn't win. Did they win? I they can't win. remember, but I know they they were ahead. I know that they were ahead in that game, and I think they scored first. I'm going like, oh yeah, I probably should have got on UCF. But uh, again, I'm Wait, not, let, let me look at this. Yeah, I'm not, I actually, I actually need to look at this now. The uh, because there's only three and a half, and so let's see, UCF, Big 12. I thought I was two and one with my college picks. Um, and so, let me look at UCF, UCF. Yeah, UCF won by two, and they were laying three and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, there's always be, the thing is, though, those are the only ones we remember, right? You, but you, pick, mean, you picked, mean, it, you picked the winner, Trevor. You had the winner. <laughs> yeah. That, and lost the money, right. but you know it's like I had uh, I had the Washington Commanders minus seven uh, against Arizona, and when on your show I said that unless Arizona scores on defense or special teams, I just don't see how they're going to be able to to cover that seven. And lo and behold, Arizona scored on a sack, fumble, scoop, and score on defense, and Washington won the game, but they didn't cover because of that. The thing is, though, those kinds of things we we remember because they really hurt. But we win games like that too, so it, it comes out in the wash. It does. I mean, nothing was more brutal for me with that, that Buffalo Bills game, Trevor. I mean, I really thought that oh. that thing was going to be good, uh, and then when Rodgers went out, oh, here we go with your boy Zach Wilson, and uh, Buffalo scores. And again, if it wasn't for Josh Allen with the four turnovers, three interceptions, and a fumble, I mean, they probably win this game going away, and then they still had an opportunity. Even, you know, in overtime, I figure, okay, they're going to get the coin flip, go down. I mean, you know, I'd kick a field goal. Fine. Lane two and a half. We're okay. But 
that was a brutal loss if you had the Buffalo Bills. Right. And the thing is, Buffalo has broken my heart. I would say stab me in the back is probably better when I've picked them over the last couple of years because what I look for is matchups. You know, I mean, you guys, you're, you're all pros, you and Scott and Marco and all that, and you're looking for all kinds of trends and line movements and sharps betting and things like that. You know, I'm looking at matchups. Yes. You know, what should happen if everybody plays somewhere near to their capabilities? And it's worked well. I mean, I was I was 56% uh, overall last year, 56 and a half, actually. I'll take the half, take the hook. Well, we, hey, and, Trevor, uh, we round up. We, we round up, week. so you're 57%. Okay. Then uh, I was, um, um, and I was four and two last week. So, so it, it seems to be something that adds some value to your listeners to be able to get a perspective, uh, from that perspective. But Buffalo kind of, it harms me because they so often don't play up to their potential. Sometimes their quarterback, Josh Allen, will be lights out. He'll look like a future Hall of Famer, a future Super Bowl MVP. And then other times he will disappear. And then other times he will implode, which is what he did against the Jets on Monday night. And so I, I, I am really shying away from touching Buffalo because they can be so good when they play up to their potential, but they can lay an egg made of brick also. I totally agree with uh, you with that. And, you know, Kansas City in that same vein, I've talked about that before, even though the Chiefs will will win a majority of their games, but they won't cover their games, especially when they're, you know, big favorites because they come from behind a lot or they just don't have these big blowout victories. They really don't. And, and they usually get big lines because yep. people love them. Right. And so they usually, you know, are favored by a lot. The, uh, you know, in this last, or the opener against the, the Lions, they dropped so many passes, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then the, the look on Patrick Mahomes, their quarterback's face, when it was drop after drop after drop, and, and you could see what he was thinking. And what he was thinking was every curse word that's ever been uttered in every Navy in history, right? But he didn't do it because he's a pro. Uh, but that was just, and then lost to the Lions, which I think makes this week really interesting because of, uh, you know, people might think that they're not going to be able to cover against the Jaguars, but the line is a lot smaller this week than it ordinarily would have been because number one, they lost and number two, they lost because their receivers imploded. So maybe this is a place where you can take the chiefs as a favorite and not be burned because the line isn't going to be too terribly big. We'll see what that line is over the next couple of days. So let me ask you this, Trevor. It seems like, um, well, I'm not going to say it seems, I'm just going to ask you the question. Were you, um, do you look, do you look at the betting line and looking at that more now since you start doing the best best with us a couple of years ago? Cause I remember that you were never really looking at, at, at uh, those numbers. I know the ESPN hit you up and they said when they started really embracing the sports betting and the gambling that they wanted you to make picks and everything. But I, I've seen a turnaround with you that I believe where, you know, you've really kind of, you jumped into the party here because years ago, I think you were anti sports betting, right? No, not, not really. I think people can do what they, what they choose to do. I'm, I'm not right. pro or anti. Really. Well, I'm not I'm talking about that. I'm just freedom. talking about from a handicapping, you know, talking about uh, from it a handicap- from, from a handicapping no, I, perspective. Yeah. Not betting. I've always done. I've, I've always done it this way. Um, you know, because, you know, going, going back to the, you know, years ago, sports center would have me on, uh, the six o'clock sports center to pick the Mac games coming up for the, 
you know, the midweek Mac games, right? And so uh, I, I'd pick those and pick them really well. But I do it based on matchups. And uh, and usually it went really well. Um, and so I've been doing it for a while. But just since I've been been doing this with you guys, uh, I've focused on it from that standpoint uh, much more greatly. In other words, not just this team has the edge of the matchup, but is it enough of an edge to be able to cover that number, mm-hmm. right, if everybody plays the way they're supposed to play? Because the thing is, TC, you don't want to look bad. Right. 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 I mean, everybody looked back compared to you on the college picks this week. You were three and oh, <laughs> nobody else was three and oh. Right. And so the, uh, so it's competitive. So yeah, so I look at it and it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating world. And I'm afraid to get too far into the, the, the trends and the line movements and all those other things. Cause I'm afraid that I'll jump into that rabbit hole and I'll never make it out because yeah. it's fascinating. I will say this too. So Marco says this a lot that him and I handicap, uh, a lot, uh, the same type of style and everything, but. Uh, and, and we do to a certain degree, but there's some things that we are, are, are totally different on. You and I really do handicap the same way because that is my thing too. It's about matchups. And I think if you really follow the game and, and follow the teams and know the personnel, you get into the matchups. And I've always been that kind of like the coach's perspective, just the way you look at it from a player's perspective, coach's perspective. I look at that and I'm not really into the trends. I'm not into, okay, you know, coming off of a buy, this team is that or, I mean, I look at that for a little bit, but just not like, you know, what are they at night? What are they on grass? You know, all this other stuff. I'm looking at injuries. I'm looking at matchups. I'm looking at that. And I'm big on, on bounce back situations. So if a team, you know, plays well enough to win and they have a heartbreaking loss, they're usually more focused and come back the next week. Or if a team maybe gets blown out, then there's some motivation. Or if there's a revenge factor, I factor that in as well, but not, I'm not a numbers guy, you know, and there are so many handicappers nowadays that are just like, you know, uh, algorithm guys or system guys. And to me, you know, those guys, um, doesn't compute to me, doesn't compute because they couldn't even tell you probably five guys on any team. So that's why I really appreciate having you on and having you with us because you and I really do kind of look at it from the same perspective. No, we got to gang up on those other two guys though, because they, you know, they wear trench coats and they hang out in back alleys looking for information. There, you know, <laughs> yeah. Not, and and, and Scott and Marco, yeah. Scott and Marco, kind of take that happy medium as well too. They're just not number guys, but I can tell you, there's a big fraction of handicappers I heard they're just strictly number guys. And oh, the number says this and that. Like, well, wait a minute. Do you realize that you know they got a they got a backup quarterback going this week, or you know this quarterback is has been garbage for three weeks? Oh, it's okay. My numbers say this. Okay, good. Luck. Sure. So you're talking about bounce back. I mean, Alabama's at South Florida, which, by the way, yep. is really weird to me. Alabama playing at South Florida. How did that happen? You, you tell me. You think that if, what is that all if about? South Florida wanted to play Alabama, and, and Alabama said, sure, you got to come to Tuscaloosa. And they said, no, we want home and home. Alabama would tell them to go pound sand. Right? <laughs> but somehow they're playing at South Florida, which is goofy. But anyway, but Alabama, of course, lost to Texas last week. And as we know, hell hath no fury like a Nick Saban team the week after a loss. And if he's like like five and one or four and zero oh against the spread, something like that, the week after a loss. But they're laying thirty two at South Florida, right? And so you would think that South Florida is in terrible trouble because the starters are going to want to going to want to just blast them to atone for last week, and then the backups that are going to come in when they have a big old lead are going to want to prove that they should be starting over those starters who lost to Texas, 
right? Or at least get more in the rotation. So it seems like a 60-minute problem for South Florida. But there's new rules now in terms of the clock in college football. One of those rules is that they don't stop the clock on first downs anymore and except for the last two minutes of each half. So it used to be that you get a first down in college football, then we stop the clock, and then that would extend the time of the game, but it would also give you plenty of time to go and set up and all that. Now they keep that clock running except for the final two minutes of each half, which means that it burns off extra time off the clock. And if Alabama is going to want to assert the Bama factor, assert their physical dominance like they weren't able to do against Texas, you're talking about being on the ground a lot. You're talking about the clock running more than it has in years past. Well, will that mean they'll run out of time to cover 32? See, these are things that uh, that all get factored yep. into it right now that are kind of weird. So let me ask you, speaking of Alabama, um, Jalen Milrow was not good. I mean, he was downright awful. He's 14 for 27, had 255, but had the two interceptions, and he just did not look comfortable against Texas. I mean, his throws didn't look good. I want to know what your professional eyes saw when you're looking at him, and is he going to be a problem for the Tide, and does Nick Saban have somebody behind him that he may be contemplating sooner than later to go with? It's really hard to to judge that right now. And the reason is that Jalen Milrow as a passer is really weird. He is not very consistent against good defenses at the short and intermediate passes, just not. And that's bad because those are your layups. You need to be able to hit those. But he excels at deep balls. He'll throw that thing high up in the air, let the receiver run underneath it. We saw him do it against Texas, right? We saw him do it in the opener against Middle Tennessee. And the most important thing for an Alabama quarterback right now given that they want to establish the run, is to be able to hit the deep ball to keep the safeties deep. And if you don't throw intermediate all that well, it's less important than the deep ball. So it hurt them against Texas because Texas had a, a, an honest-to-goodness, you know, national-class passing attack, and their quarterback had plenty of time to throw. And so that was, that was a problem to start with. So Milrow, just hitting a few deep balls wasn't enough because the – Alabama offensive line wasn't able to establish any kind of dominance in the running attack. I mean, overall, as a team, they averaged 3.1 yards per carry against Texas, 3.1. That is terrible. And the reason is that the offensive line got beat, just got beat. Plus, they got beat in pass protection. Bama didn't sack Quinn Ewers a single time, but they gave up five sacks and nine tackles for loss against Texas. So this Alabama offensive line that has, you know, famously three three guys out of five that are over 350 pounds, they're just going to mash everybody. Well, they didn't mash anybody on the running attack, and they couldn't stay in front of anybody in space protecting the passer. So then you come back to Milrow. In some ways, Milrow's the best quarterback for Alabama under those circumstances because when the pocket breaks down, as it sure did an awful lot against the Longhorns, Milrow can at least take off and, and be a real threat running the ball. And when the pocket uh, breaks down from a, a standpoint of you know pass protection, he can roll out and find clear space sideline to sideline before he throws the ball. So in a lot of ways, Milrow actually is what they need given the, the combination offensive line and quarterback 
until further notice, until the offensive line starts to play with the kind of dominance that they need. Yeah, and look for Alabama to definitely bounce back. Milro to have a better game, and again, much more friendlier opponent. You're playing South Florida, like you mentioned, Trevor, even though it's on the road, but South Florida off to a, a, a not a very good start. I mean, they lost to Western Kentucky, who has a decent program, but uh, they lost to them, what, 41-24 to two weeks ago, and then you know they they had a cupcake last week. Uh, but still, I believe, you know, you know, gave up 31 points, uh, you know, the defense did. So, yeah, I know it's a big number with Alabama, but it would not surprise me if, uh, if Bama put a, put a hurting on them. And there are going to be a lot of people that are where the crimson and white, they're going to be traveling down to South Florida. Uh, I got to believe that stadium is going to be more than half uh, full of, uh, you know, uh, tide fans. Yeah, they really are. And really the, if you wanted to pick one big difference, uh, in terms of, uh, one stat in the Texas game, no run through two interceptions. It was, it was brutal and that, that really hurt them. That's one of the things I'm looking for at South Florida is no turnovers at all from Alabama. And if they don't commit a turnover, I think they, they have a very good chance to cover that number. All right. Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN College Football, of course, joins us each and every week, part of our best bets on Fridays. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the injury with Aaron Rodgers, not just the injury, uh, but the NFLPA came out today and they want the NFL to install all grass fields. I figured no better person to talk about this with you because you played in an era where there was AstroTurf, okay? And then they had some field turf, which was a much a softer version of the AstroTurf was like playing on concrete, which you did. And all, as a offensive lineman, <laughs> you got a chance to to lay on that cement a lot. You played on some grass fields, and a lot of those fields were not the best uh, as well, too. And the NFL, they're talking about player safety, and Roger Goodell always says, hey, the ultimate concern is that, you know, it's player safety. Well, this makes a lot of sense to me, Trevor, that it's like a no-brainer that if you feel that grass is safer, then, you know, it's not a money issue anymore. Back in the day, it was a upkeep issue and you know having to replace grass and cut it and do all this other kind of stuff but maybe it is time that the nfl goes to all grass so two-part question here for you a what do you think of that and b talk about the difference from playing on you know what you played on back in the day and the turf fields versus the grass well you're right that the interests of the players and the owners have converged because back in the day, you get a player hurt. Well, whatever. You weren't paying him that much anyhow. There wasn't a salary cap, and you could replace that guy, you know, with the exception of just a, a few of the big stars. You know, and so, you know, the, the player health was less of an issue. Now you've got so much invested in players, and if they get hurt, you still have to pay them. They count against the cap. Uh, that it's, it, it matters. And plus, now the money's so big with winning and getting to the Super Bowl and stuff like that. Not just the prestige, but the money. So the interest of the players and the owners have converged. The, the, the irony is there has been tremendous advance in technology in field turf and stuff. You know, back in the day, you know, the, you played, played at the Houston Astrodome and what it felt like was there was a very thin, like a quarter inch pad and then they'd roll over the concrete. Then they'd roll, you know, one roll of Astroturf over that and you're basically playing on concrete with very little pad. You know, in Philadelphia, it was the same way, except they had plugs 
where the infield cutouts were. Yep. So like, you know, where second base was, there'd be a big old plug that was made of AstroTurf that was roughly shaped like the hole that second base was, and they put it on down there. The problem is that it didn't fit very well. So you could literally turn your ankle on the edge of that thing because there was a two-inch gap between the plug and the rest of the field, right? Yep. So there were all kinds of issues with that. But now with field turf, it, it's kind of long, uh, art of, you know, synthetic blades of grass that they have well it used to be it still is in a lot of places rubber particles in it to kind of hold it up to act kind of like dirt and, and spacers and stuff that's why when you see a receiver drag his feet for example you will see a bunch of black stuff yep. pop up that's rubber yep. rubber and I, I, I that worries me because i worry about long-term effects of rubber getting into your eyes and yep. breathing it in and eating it and stuff like that that stuff's not particularly you know organically healthy uh but now they're they're actually using um cork and they're using other more organic plant style materials for that and so the point is that on that kind of turf on the old style astroturf you had to wear basketball shoes couldn't wear cleats on this style turf you have to wear cleats you can't wear basketball shoes and so you know the 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 consistency of that stuff is pretty darn good and the you're getting your foot stuck in it like you used to on on the old AstroTurf for the basketball shoe so that your foot stuck in the ground, your body twists and your foot stays in the same spot and everything fails when that happens. You, or at least it's overly stressed and it's more likely to fail later. You know, these are the kinds of things that, uh, that they're trying to figure out how to fix. Grass isn't always a panacea because there are, you know, it depends on what the grass is over. You know, usually they'll put like sod and then sand under that and then gravel under that and then pipes under that to pipe out the water. So it, it pipes, but sometimes that doesn't stick. The grass doesn't stick very well to that layer underneath it. And you can, you can kick up big divots and that's even more dangerous than the field turf. So I don't think that grass is the answer necessarily. I think that advances in field turf will give you a more consistent field that allows the foot to give enough that you're not going to have as many injuries like this. I, I don't know that this was a field injury that happened to Rodgers. As I looked at it, it looked to me like just it, it just came down weird and his his leg kind of jerked weird, and I think that would have happened on any kind of turf. All right. Uh, great stuff uh, from the former player himself, uh, Trevor Manich, uh, digging down in the trenches back in the day. Uh, real quick, uh, Raiders are 1-0. and now they get ready to go, go to Buffalo, a team that again underperformed on Monday night. Uh, they'll be facing a little bit de- different defense, a little softer defense in the Raiders. Give me a quick take. What do you think about Raiders and Buffalo? Well, I worry for the Raiders right now for this game because Buffalo laid an egg. Um, they laid an egg badly against the Jets. And I think this is when they're going to really come back. I mean, I think the FPI football power index gives the bills like a 70 71 chance percent chance to win that game and that that's kind of what what stands out to me i think beating the broncos is nice it's a win but you're still talking about the broncos and the broncos are still you know a team that i i don't trust at all i thought russell wilson played fairly well in that game um and you know jimmy g played well also i just don't know that i trust him to lead this Raiders offense up into Buffalo and to beat a Bills offense if that offense is clicking on all cylinders. All right, Mr. Four and Two. Uh, we'll let you get back and do your homework. And uh, we'll look forward to talking with you on Friday for the best bets. 
All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, TC. All right, buddy. Hey, Trevor, we're going to send you out with with one of your all-time favorite songs. You got to like this. There it is, Trev. He loves it. Nice. He loves it. One of the all-time great anthems. (laughs) All-time great anthems. There it is, brother. We'll let you go out and sing it. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you Friday. Let's be A little earth, wind, and fire. Take you to the top of the hour. Sam Gordon will join us. We'll talk aces and moa. And plus, we've got some NBA news to talk about as well, too. Coming down. That and a whole lot more coming your way here on this wonderful Wednesday. This is the moment you've waited for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces would love a stop. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. Chelsea Gray for three. Unbelievable. It's the TC Martin Show. Jackie's got it. Aces got numbers. Three on two. To Plum for three. KP, ring it up. Boom, shaka, waka, waka, boom. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. TC Martin. To Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times for Bay Bay. TC Martin. And you got that right. Money won't change it. Raquana. Bay Bay Williams. This is the greatest show. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this Wednesday. Glad to have you with us. Aces are in action tonight. Is the playoffs. The road to eight, the march to eight, eight victories until the Aces call themselves back-to-back champs. It starts tonight at T-Mobile Arena, tip it off at 7 o'clock. Of course, you could join me on the radio side, 6.30 p.m. for that with the pregame show, 7 o'clock tip. And then T-Mobile Arena tonight, expecting another great crowd on hand tonight. Game two will be Sunday, 12 noon, back at Nicola Bolcher Arena inside the Mandalay Bay. For the Chicago Sky, the opponent, they come in as the number eight seed. And the champs, the number one seed, best record in the history of the WNBA, 34-6 and six as they finish the regular season on a current four-game win streak. And uh, they are ready to roll. So pumped up, fired up, revved up. And it all takes place tonight, the beginning of the WNBA playoffs. And uh, join us now, our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Who was hanging out with me yesterday at practice and uh, got a chance to write a fantastic column this morning. If you haven't read it yet, go to the Las Vegas Review Journal.com and check out my man's column regarding the champs. What's up, Sammy? TC, how you doing? Happy Wednesday. Appreciate the kind words. Uh, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Uh, just trying to save my voice, Sam. That's what I've been trying to do, man. I've been, <laughs> been doing a lot of talking lately. Just so you you could take over this uh, this segment. How's that? 
<laughs> I, well, I, well, I appreciate the platform. What, what, do you want to, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> well, let's talk about, uh, you know, the Aces. Let's talk about your column. I really thought when you were, when I was reading that this morning, I said, man, I said, this is pretty much what I'm saying on, on a daily basis. The, you know, the way you broke that down, uh, talk about how well they're playing, that we're seeing history in front of our eyes. And, you know, we'll get to the, to the MVP talk here in just a, a couple moments but yeah i'm just uh i'm just curious again uh what you've noticed uh covering this team well um it's a historically great team tc and i think in order to you know, you know the contents of my column as you kind of allude to is i think this you know with a championship you might be looking at the greatest team in WNBA history and, and i think there are a number of factors right the regular season dominance the sustained 40 game stretch longest season ever you touched on it the, the WNBA record for victories to sustain that kind of pace uh as the defending champions understanding that it's all about the postseason you know particularly for this team to, to, to sustain that kind of pace and Becky Hammond alluded to it yesterday and has talked about very, talked about it various times throughout the course of the season uh their professionalism how competitive this group is what this group wants to accomplish and, and lo and behold they finished the season with the best offensive rating in league history, the third best net rate rating, that being, uh, you know, points per 100 possessions, how many points they outscore their opponents by per 100 possessions. So analytically, this team grades out as good, pretty much as good as any team uh, in the league. They have the record to back it up, and then you go up and down the roster. Uh, and might I remind you, as you know, and might I remind our audience, this is a team that was supposed to have Candace Parker uh, and Raquana Williams at this time of year, right? We understand Candace Parker, what she brings uh, with her two-way play, even at this stage of her career, we saw it for half the season, her passing, her defense, her rebounding, uh, her timely scoring, uh, her experience, the whole thing. She's a seamless fit, made the whole thing go. Uh, and, and, and then Raquana Williams, one of the best three-point shooters in the league and, you know, the uh, unsung hero of last year's postseason. That, that being said, without them for a majority of the season, sustained the pace uh, that they kind of set with Parker in the lineup for the first half of the year, and then and then the talent on the roster, Asia Wilson, best player in the world, an all-time great that we're seeing uh, in real time, do historic things uh, in real time, in her prime. Chelsea Gray, league's best point guard, most, most clutch player, uh, has a banner season in her prime. Kelsey Plum, uh, as explosive as a scorer, uh, as you'll find, three-point shooting, floor spacing, uh, the way she's improved as a defender, the, the way she's improved in terms of picking her spots, going to the basket, shooting, passing in her prime, right? Jackie Young uh, ascending, emerging as, one, as you know, perhaps the best two-way wing in the league, 44% from three this year, uh, physical defender, can get to the basket, can rebound in her prime. So you, you look at the makeup of the roster, uh, the analytics, the, the wins and losses, what they were able to sustain throughout the course of the season, their bench, their veterans on the bench, Kia Stokes, Alicia Clark, champions know exactly what to do uh, when they're out on the floor, exactly what their roster is. And then, you're, you you know, quite possibly uh, in Becky Hammond, right? And, and, and she's just getting started. We'll see how far this thing goes and where her coaching career continues to take her. But she's as good as any coach that's that's been in the WNBA. I mean, with her tactical uh, brilliance, her ability to adjust, and then to her ability to relate to her players uh, and just manage the course of the season. She's a masterful job. So with all that being said, right, it's going to require a, a championship to validate this. That was the goal when the season started. Uh, but but they, they're the favorites. They, they rightfully should be, despite their struggles uh, with New York. You know Becky Hammond's been saving some of the adjustments uh, and some, some strategies, some looks um, that she's had or that she knows she could go to uh, during the regular season, save those 
for the postseason, and then as good of any coach uh, in the W in terms of adjusting, right? When she was out coached last year, and it was only a couple times in the playoffs, always came back with a better game plan uh, the second time around. That's part of it. So uh, they, they're the favorites. They're they're ready to go. They're healthy, and uh, yeah, like 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 the column said, TC. I think that's what's on the line. Sure, a repeat championship uh, is massive enough, but this is a team that that was historically great all season, and I could put uh, the finishing touches on that with a title. Without Candace Parker, okay, and, mm-hmm. and Raquana Williams, both. I mean, we know that it's it's postseason time, and the conventional wisdom says that this could come back and hurt the Aces. I know the Aces have got a strong core four. I won't say a starting five, but they got the strong core four, as we know, with Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, Jackie Young, and, and, and Kelsey Plum. Alicia Clark coming off the bench, and we're seeing more of her with that starting unit instead of Kia Stokes, but it makes them very, very small. But again, the bench is very, very thin. Let me ask you, Sam, what do you think as far as how much not having, uh, you know, especially Candace Parker for this postseason is going to hurt the Aces? And eventually, could that be, uh, and the lack of bench that they have just because of a numbers perspective, could that be the ultimate demise? I mean, certainly, right? If you were to make a case for why this team won't win the WNBA championship, that that's it. That's the case uh, right there. It's a lot of responsibility for the starters. Even last year, uh, similar kind of, you know, that's the same starting five that won the championship last year. Even last year, took kind of historic playoff runs from both Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray, who were absolutely impeccable. And then, uh, of course, Kelsey Plum and, and Jack Young picking their spots and having huge moments as well. But the the, the burden, the responsibility that it was required that that was required of Wilson and Gray was just massive, and and I think you know much of that will be required uh, again, and especially you know in a series with the Liberty. With that being said, this is why you go all out for the number one seed, right? A more favorable draw compared to the Liberty, who have to deal with you know the Mystics, a uh, championship caliber team, even though they're the seventh seed, experienced with Elena Deladon, quality coaching, uh, chemistry, and whatnot. That's a tough matchup for them in the two seven draw, and then you know Connecticut, the three seed as well. So. The, the way to combat that, if you're the Aces, is handle your business. I mean, handle your business in the first two rounds. Get as much rest as possible. These series don't need to go extra games. Uh, and that way, that, that would ensure that all things considered, right, without Candace Parker, without, you know, at least at this point, without Raquana Williams, that would ensure that they're going to be at least be as fresh as possible. But I, I think the kind of the big matchup to circle TC, and it's not, I mean, it's no surprise. We, we've kind of been building into this all year. And of course, they go out, have to go out and play the games, and both teams earn their way to the finals. But where it would come back you know, to hurt the most is against the Liberty because of their depth and because of their size. But even then, you know, speaking to that matchup uh, in particular, again, Becky Hammond alluded to at practice or after practice yesterday, uh, you know, identifying some things during the regular season that maybe. Uh, she can go to in the playoffs and hasn't gone to yet. So this is why they play the games. Um, it, it will be, I think it will require another, you know, massive effort and strong effort from, from the starters, particularly Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray, but they've proven that they can handle that. And again, part of, um, handling your business during the regular season, I mean, record for, for 25 point victories and 20 point victories is you get to, you get to save the starters a little bit. They get to rest, uh, in the fourth quarter. I think Becky Hammond did a masterful job of kind of managing the minutes as best she could. Uh, given the circumstances and the injuries she's dealing with. So uh, to your point, to, you know, to your question, yeah, that, that could, I mean, if there is a, a weakness that team has, little thin up front and, and not quite the depth, but, but uh, rotations shorten in the postseason anyways. You want your best players playing a majority of the minutes and because of how uh, the regular season was managed I, and, and what we saw last season, have absolutely no doubt uh, that the starting lineup, uh, uh, the, you know, the six that, that generally play are going to be ready to go 
uh, especially if they handle their business in the first couple series. And we have seen this, especially in basketball, whether it's at the NCAA tournament or I'll say specifically uh, in the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals, that is always, Sam, always seems like there is that unsung guy in it or, or woman and that is comes off the bench. And it was Raquana Williams last year. Could it be Alicia Clark this year? The, the, you need, you need one or two people to come off the bench that will do maybe some hu- some superhuman things or, you know, again, you know, maybe eclipse their, their season average to do that because, you know, not all the starters are going to be on every given night, especially when you're talking about playoff basketball because the matchups are so, so tougher. So I just hope that the aces get that. They have a couple candidates still. Off, off of that bench, or maybe if it's a starter, like, you know, we haven't seen the best of Jackie Young over the last couple of weeks. You know, you, they're going to need that, especially in the finals. I'm 110% with you. And that's, you know, the, at the playoff, playoff basketball, uh, every team, I mean, you know the opposition, you know their plays, you know their sets. Uh, like you said, it's all about matchups and all about key adjustments. And you're playing the best teams, you're playing against the best coaching staffs, and with more and more time that, you know, more and more time to prep. Uh, game plan specific and, and do different things and try and take away different things. So yeah, to your point, DC, uh, you saw Raquana Williams last year step up and hit massive shots. Who knows? Who knows who it's going to be this year? Uh, and, 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 you know, is the starting lineup capable of, of carrying more than they did? So that, that's what we're going to find out. And that's why, you know, again, that's why they, they play the games, but, but the aces, you know, because of that historic regular season have ensured that they're going to have the, the quote unquote easiest route possible. Uh, the championship is going to come through Las Vegas. This has been a very, very, very difficult place to play for opposing teams, especially over the last couple of years. And, and it's, it's as cliche as it may be, you know, role players, uh, reserves uh, tend to do better at home. So if there is a decisive fifth game uh, in a particular series, be it the semifinals or the finals, the Aces know they have the luxury of, I think at this point, pretty clearly, right, the, you know, the best crowd. Uh, in the WNBA behind them, the best atmosphere in the WNBA behind them. And that was really, I think, reflected on Sunday when 17,000 people came out to T-Mobile Arena. So uh, this is, again, this is why you handle your business in the regular season. It's why it still mattered. And to to Becky Hammond's point yesterday, uh, speaks to the competitiveness, the professionalism, the cohesion, uh, the mental toughness uh, of the Aces to sustain that level of play throughout the course of the season when when the seating was so close with the Liberty and it, you know came down to the, the final day, a couple bounces the ball go differently. Maybe it's it's a different kind of situation, but uh, all road you know the road to the WNBA championship will run through Las Vegas, and and this is a, a tremendous home court advantage for the Aces. Certainly has been uh, the last couple seasons. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and again, fine columnist that covers everything here in Las Vegas and specifically Aces. Sam has been there uh, like myself from day one since the. Team Team relocated uh, from San Antonio here in 2018. You mentioned the fans. You talked about the home court advantage. Let's get into this a little more too. 17,406 Sunday afternoon. You, you get displaced out of your arena at Michelob Ultra Arena in Mandalay Bay because the Toyota Convention is there. So you, you go to a bigger place, which is great because most teams. Heck, I go back to a couple seasons ago when the Aces uh, played Phoenix and and the Mercury got displaced out of the, well, now it's called the Footprint Center, but before that, I think is what the U.S. Airways Arena because there was Disney on ice. And we were forced to go over to 
Arizona State University to play at a much smaller venue, kind of a dilapidated venue, and usually don't get a chance to to go to a bigger, shinier, newer building. And T-Mobile Arena welcomed the uh, the Aces with open arms, and it was fantastic that you almost had double the crowd that you would have at a game at Mandalay Bay. We'll see how that transpires tonight with the opening of the playoffs. But more importantly, Sam, and I still run into this out there where there are still some fans that live here in Las Vegas that still may not have gone to a game or they still really don't understand the WNBA or even kind of, you know, downplay it a little bit. Now, obviously myself and you as well, we're very close to this situation and we appreciate basketball, you know, involved with the organization. And so it comes across a little bit skewed, especially, you know, people probably hearing it from me. But I really want you to 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 kind of just educate those people because they're still out there, as you know, that maybe still kind of turn their nose up at the product or really haven't given it a shot and still don't understand it because it is still out there. What do you say to these people to convince them or at least put the lights, you know, put the light on on, on this team and this league of you know to give it a shot? Well, I think. Um at least with the Aces here in Vegas, right, TC? I mean, kind of like we just talked about, this is the best team ever. I mean, quite potentially the best team ever with some of the best players in the world and their respective prime, brilliant head coach that play an aesthetically pleasing style of basketball, very team-oriented, very unselfish, very fast-paced, lots of scoring. Uh, The crowd is super enthusiastic, and I think, generally speaking, uh, that that kind of, the the crowd, the atmosphere, like the energy, that makes the, the experience in so many ways, and it's a credit to, uh, I mean, just so many different people involved with the organization, and the, the, the support staff, front office staff, uh, the in-game promotions, et cetera, et cetera, marketing. Like the Aces games uh, for fans and, and, and even for, like, even me to a certain degree, TC, because of the music, the pace, just the energy in the arena. Like there, there's a, there's a, it's a real vibe. There's just a real energy uh, in the building and, 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 uh, the, the, the in-game promotions, timeouts or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's a real understanding of how to make it a full 360 degree, uh, kind of global cohesive experience around excellent basketball, the best basketball players in the world. So, you know, 17,000 strong. I mean, that's not a coincidence. It's a, it's a credit again to, to so many of the individuals in the front office, but more importantly, uh, to the team, to, 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 to the aces, to the players. Uh, that have you know ensure that this franchise is is, is sustained championship level play, uh, and have brought their best every single night since moving here in 2018. So uh, a lot goes into it, but the atmosphere itself is is just electric. Whether it's a regular season game that the Aces are winning by 20 or 25, like or 30 when it's not competitive, or if it's a playoff game like you know some of the games last season against the uh, the Seattle Storm and the Sun, where it comes right down to the wire, like the crowd is engaged. Uh, the in-house DJ plays great music to keep the vibe. Um, fun and electric and, and, and it's, it's, it's good, fast paced, um, high level basketball. It's the best basketball players, uh, in the world. It's the highest level execution. And with this team in particular, it's, it's history in terms of a Hall of Famer on the sideline and Hall of, and, and Hall of Famers at the absolute peak of their powers, like sharing the floor on a nightly basis. So uh, I think from what we've seen, you know, the, the, the crowd, the way that the brand has been built the last several years and what we've seen last postseason, I mean, you, it's fair to only expect uh, the energy to be at another level. I don't know how exactly you quantify it at this point, TC, because all the pretty much all the playoff games last year were sold out at 
uh, Michelob Ultra Arena or Pact or whatever, but the, the Aces have equipped their capacity, you know, multiple times and set new uh, arena records at Michelob Ultra. They set a franchise record uh, at, at T-Mobile Arena the other night. Uh, so, so the, 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 the fans are responding. I think the city is showing how much they appreciate it. And, and for those who haven't experienced it, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, you know, a fair price ticket in part, you know, one of the best tickets in town, uh, in, in terms of bang for your buck. So, uh, it's, it's, it's been, um, you know, fascinating to see this thing grow, uh, since 2018 when the Michelob Ultra Arena was empty, you know, pretty much empty, uh, on a nightly basis, three, 4,000 fans and nobody knew who this team was. Now it's, you know, perhaps the, the biggest brand. Uh, in the WNBA and with, you know, the playoffs being nationally televised, a great showcase for not only the franchise, but for, for, for the fan base that they built in Las Vegas as well. Yep. Record numbers from a TV perspective. Uh, you know, again, you know, salary cap has increased the television deal with, uh, ESPN and ABC. Uh, they are rolling right now. It's, it's never been better in the WNBA. Final thing regarding the WNBA and the Aces, Sam, with you is the MVP situation. Yep. Now the Associated Press, the AP announced yesterday that they gave the MVP to Brianna Stewart. Asia Wilson got the Defensive Player of the Year uh, award. But, uh, again, the big, you know, honor is going to be when the WNBA hands out their postseason awards. The MVP will be, uh, announced, um, two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now. So, uh, Becky Hammond has come on and has, you know, banged the drum for Asia Wilson. I have done it. Nikki Vargas came on a couple days ago. And did the exact same thing. And then I'm not surprised that the AP said Brianna Stewart, but I think that the AP is a little East Coast bias here. But for all the reasons that, that you had said earlier and what you wrote in your column, it really is a no-brainer, Sam, isn't it? That Asia Wilson is the most valuable player and should be again. And what she means to this team and what she means to this league, she is the most valuable player who's doing it um, without a full roster and not a super team. And let's make that very clear. These are not a super team. Okay. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't put this together through free agency, you know, like, uh, like the Liberty did, but playing 200 less minutes than Brianna Stewart. Your thoughts on MVP? Um, I'm with you. I, I don't even think it's a question. I think more generally speaking, TC, uh, the awards, the postseason honor, like the, the, the honors that, that come out during the postseason. I think generally they're supposed to kind of be, you take a look at the, the awards, the postseason honors, that should be a snapshot of, of the season. You should be able to take a look at those and kind of be able to piece together. This is the story of the season as reflected in this postseason awards. Well, well, the season was about the Aces. The Aces just had, again, like arguably the greatest season in WNBA history, set all kinds of records, record efficiency. She was so dominant uh, when she did play that she was afforded the luxury of sitting out several fourth quarters uh it, it was the mvp last season increased her scoring average increased her rebounding uh increased her block shots uh increased her field goal percentage anchors the defense uh without again another rim protector on the roster uh without candace parker the lead the, the best defense uh in the wnba at that uh, as well as the best offense she set the the single game record or tied liz cambage's single game record um with 53 points and again, to tell you a little bit about her character as a superstar, was totally content leaving statistics and production on the table by sitting out those fourth quarters, understanding what it meant for her teammates and then for her in the long run uh, in terms of preserving her legs for the postseason as much as possible. So uh, the, the Aces were the best team in the league, and she was, I think, far and away the best overall two-way player uh, this season. Respect to Brianna Stewart, respect to Alyssa Thomas. Of course, I think Shuins 
for all WNBA first team that, that they should both be unanimous and absolute strong cases. But their, their teams didn't accomplish anything historic. Asia Wilson's team did, and she raised her game uh, to even a higher level than she was at last season. She had the best season of her career, the most efficient season of her career. She's an incredible teammate uh, in terms of how, in terms of how she approaches the game on a day to day basis. She doesn't care whether she scores or whether she produces. She simply produces at that level because that's what that's what's often required for her teams to win and to dominate the way they did throughout the course of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what the vote is, TC. But she's. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said it on your show multiple times. She's the best player in the world. She's in her prime right now. She's coming off the best season of her career and, and the awards, uh, this season to reflect that. I also want to add, I think, you know, the, the, the whole core four should be all WNBA. I mean, they were all fantastic at having career seasons in their own ways. And again, it's the, the award should be a snapshot of what this season was about. This season in a lot of ways was about the aces and, and the dominance, uh, that they had. So. Uh, again, will be super interesting. I'm, I'm sure the vote will be split uh, a few different ways, but but all things considered, uh, uh, Asia Wilson had the best season of her career for the best team in, in WNBA history. Uh, that kind of speaks for itself and stands on its own merit. No, I mean, you hit a lot of great points, like I said, just echo my thoughts, but I think what you said that really not anybody else has said, that the postseason awards, are, well, these are regular season awards, but it, you know, you, you give it to them in the postseason, but yep. the the bottom line is it should be a snapshot, microcosm, or like I said, the 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 cliff notes of the season of the regular mm-hmm. season. And you're right, this is a one of a kind historic season, and her numbers are better this year than they were last year. And for the nonsense to say, well, Brianna Stewart leaves Seattle to go to New York, and then you know. Okay, you know, they're the second best team. Okay, that's fine. She's had a great season, but you have to pick one. You got to pick one in MVP. And to me, it is still clear cut that it is Asia Wilson. She's on the best team. She's put up the, the better numbers from an efficiency rating standpoint. And again, she's done it with less time on the court. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. And again, it just, it seemed pretty simple, but then again, I don't know. When I look at like the AP thing, it's not that I don't respect that, but. I mean, I, I kind of don't respect it, Sam. You know what I mean? I mean, are, are these are these people that are voting for the Associated Press? I mean, are are they really watching these games? Do they know this well, league? That's what I want to know. I, I think there's, I mean, and 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 certainly Asia Wilson, Brianna Stewart, right? The two best players in the world. There, uh, Brianna Stewart has a has a pretty game. It's perimeter oriented, step back jumpers, it's three pointers. And Asia Wilson's game is just more, more blue collar, run the floor, deep seal, layup, get to the bat, uh, you know, face up, drive two free throws, uh, beat the opposing big down the floor in transition, things like that. So, uh, the, the glamour, the glamour in terms of her production, uh, it's not, it doesn't quite look the same as it does for Brianna Stewart, but statistically, I mean, there's no more efficient score in the league. When she's out there, she dominates. She dominates on the interior defensively. She dominates on the interior offensively, and she's selfless enough to understand when to defer to her teammates, be it in clutch spots and big spots, deferring to Chelsea Gray, or throughout the course of the game and, and picking her her spots to, to 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 have an impact as a scorer. So uh, I, I think it's pretty clear-cut and dry. TC again, the Aces had the best season in, in WNBA history, arguably. And she was the driving force of that. You hear her teammates come out and say it over and over and over again, as great as they are. You think they're just making that up? Like, you think Becky Hammond's just making up that the whole system is able to go because of the way Asia Wilson approaches it? Like, a- absolutely not. So, um, again, we'll be super curious 
uh, to see what the vote looks like. I, I'm sure it'll be split um, three ways. But if she doesn't win it, that tells me that it's that at this point it's just voter fatigue and looking for something new. The Liberty are every bit from a talent perspective as loaded as the Aces with Courtney Vandersloot and John Paul Jones and Sabrina Ionescu and Benazza Laney. Uh, and they also have a championship caliber coach in Sandy Brondello. So in terms of the supporting cast and whatnot, it's, it's just a, a kind of a pick your preference. And I think it's clear um, that overall, again, I don't want to beat, beat the horse to death, TC, but it's clear what Asia uh, meant to the Aces this season and, and, and how she was able to dominate on both ends of the floor. She should be rewarded accordingly. You got it. Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, let's leave on this. Uh, Raiders get ready to go to Buffalo after the win. Uh, not overly impressive win against the Broncos. Uh, miss extra point left on the table early on by by the Broncos. Will Lutz, their kicker. 17-16, Garoppolo, 20 for 26, uh, 200 yards, two touchdowns. Okay, fine. Denver really killed themselves. Botched onside kick to start the game. Um, you know, again, penalties down the stretch for them. Josh Jacobs, not overly impressive. Uh, we didn't ex- expect him to be, you know, 19 carries, 48 yards. That's, you know, two and a half yards per carry. And then the, the penalties revisited the Raiders as well, too. Ten penalties in that game. Um, give me your thoughts on, on what you saw with the Raiders uh, on Sunday against the Broncos and now moving forward, going to Buffalo. Uh, situational football, TC. That was not a perfect game by any means. I, would, I mean, you could make the case it wasn't even a good game. But when the Raiders absolutely had to be good, they were. And Jimmy Garoppolo is exactly as advertised. He's accurate. He's decisive. He's poised in the pocket. Didn't take a sack. That's a credit to the offensive line. But also, of course, a credit to him for understanding, you know, how to, how to maneuver the pocket, when to run, when to step up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Defensively, not, you know, not anything to write home about in, until the fourth quarter when you had to get a goal line stop and then you had to force a three and out. Well, they did that. And then most impressively, even more impressive TC, in my opinion, than the, the go ahead, um, drive, the, 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 where Jimmy Garoppolo found Jacoby Myers for the go ahead touchdown, uh, was his ability to run out the clock. The Raiders hadn't done that since at least 2000 run out the final five minutes of a game according to data provided by Sport Radar. That is the hallmark of a professional win. You know, when you can get the ball and the opposing, and you have a lead and the opposing team doesn't touch it. And it's hard to do and it's hard to execute. And the Raiders, who lost nine, uh, nine of their 11 losses last season, were by one score. So this is where they couldn't succeed last season. They sucked situationally uh, last year. So far, they're one for one. Uh, you clean up some of the penalties. Uh, help Max Crosby generate a little bit more of a pass rush, uh, and, and Josh Jacobs has his legs back under him, th- then you can go in there and hang with Buffalo. I don't see why not. Josh Allen uh, will give away the football, uh, leads the league in turnovers since, 2000, uh, since 2018, averaging two a game uh, since the end of in his, like, his last 19 games or something like that. Uh, he's there to make mistakes. Um, he's also there to make big plays if you don't get pressure and, and you're not physical with him. So, uh, the uh, the not the Aces. The Raiders are are in a prime spot. The Jet, uh, the Bills coming off of a short week, uh, an emotional loss in overtime. They kind of have to have this game. Uh, certainly expect that they'll be at their best and sharper uh, that they were at Monday. And it's fair to expect a better effort uh, from Josh Allen. But I think the opportunities are going to be there if the Raiders take care of the ball and clean up some of those penalties, get some more balance going with the running game, and keep Josh Allen stationed on the sideline. Uh, they're they're going to have an opportunity to win this game if they if they revert to the team that they were last year. And we'll see what it looks like. One win is great, but it's only one win at this point. If they revert uh, and struggle situationally again, and Jimmy Garoppolo is back there taking sacks and getting hit, and the run game doesn't get off the ground, 
then you can forget about it. But it, it, it feels, um, yeah, I don't want to, you know, overreact to one win, but, but it feels like a, a different team. Jimmy Garoppolo brings a different dynamic at quarterback. He brings different experience. He's, bring, he's been in different situations. He brings a different style of leadership. Uh, and that seems to really be resonating with this locker room as Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler try and carve out uh, a culture uh, in year two and, and, and try and establish some standards, uh, certainly standards that they didn't meet uh, last season. So it, it's, it's a daunting task. It's going to be a rockish atmosphere. It always is in Buffalo. But uh, all of a sudden, this game a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago went from one that, you know, didn't seem, we didn't seem to have a, a lot of juice to it to now it has a ton of juice to it with, for both sides with the, kind of being a must win game. Uh, for the Bills this early in the season, the chance for the Raiders uh, to really make a statement as they uh, enter their home opener next week against Pittsburgh. So I'll be out there, TC, for the Review Journal. Um, check my first time in Buffalo. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to to a great atmosphere and, and, and I think a real opportunity for the Raiders uh, to, to to catch a Buffalo team that, that that struggled a little bit on Monday night. Good deal. All right, Sam. Well, hey, enjoy your trip uh, to Buffalo. Have some good wings, man. Uh, the weather should be uh, pretty good, too. You can actually have balmy temperatures in September in Buffalo, which is very, very rare. Uh, September's a nice nice month, actually, up there, I can tell you. You know? Uh, no, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. We're, good. We're, we're catching it when it's uh, when it's still you know relatively warm. I mean, I see, yeah. you hear about the snows, the legendary snowstorms and whatnot, and who could forget, you know, the Monday night football game a couple of years ago. So thankfully, uh, that won't be us. Looking forward to a nice day. And, and again, my first time out there, I hear it's one of the best, uh, you know, most impassioned fan bases in the league. Looking forward to seeing that in person. Yeah, there you go. Just be careful out there if you're going to be going through uh, the parking lot and the tailgate, Sam. That's some <laughs> dangerous territory there, my friend. I mean, you're going to see some people that are going to be lathered up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there certainly will be. Uh, I'm going to try and get there plenty early. Hopefully I beat them to the punch. Yeah, number one, I I remember uh, the HBO Real Sports story. This was a long time ago where they went through all these different tailgates and and they said most intoxicated fan bases. And and by a wide margin, Buffalo is number one. Stay away Uh, from (laughs) tables, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch out for the tables over there, man. There, there, there's some crazy people out there. That's the call. The column should be on that, Sam. Or at least, you know, do two columns. One in the Raiders, one in the game, but the tailgate experience. That's, that's what I want to hear or see or read. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to check it out, TC, now that I know a little bit more about it. I appreciate the education. I, <laughs> I, I can't wait to be up there. Can't wait, can't wait to be up there Sunday. I'll see you out at uh, T-Mobile Arena tonight. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having me. Take care. There he is, Sam Gordon, uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, one of the finest columnists and, again, covers uh, everything regarding here in Las Vegas. All right, uh, we come back. We'll uh, talk NBA. Some NBA news uh, came down today. Some interesting, I want to say, call them rule changes, or we'll just say suggestions. All right, let me put some water on your ball. More from the Master Debater. Martin. You never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. All right, we got Aces in Chicago Sky tonight. Game number one of the WNBA playoffs. Remember, that is at T-Mobile Arena tonight. And again, great stuff from Sam Gordon in that last segment. You can join me on the radio side. Remember, uh, Fox Sports Radio tonight, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM tonight. Pre-game 630 with Asia Wilson and... Becky Hammond, and then Sunday, we're back on ESPN Las Vegas, but uh, 12 noon game. Remember, from the TV side, 
ESPN Tonight on television and ABC on Sunday. Games 1 and 2 and game number 2 will be back at the house at the Michelob Ultra Arena inside the Mandalay Bay. Programming notes continuing on tomorrow. Barry Oden will join us, the head coach of uh, the UNLV football team. Currently 1-1. One and one. Got that uh, easy victory against Bryant College a couple weeks ago. Then they went to the big house in Michigan. And uh, they played actually pretty well. Now UNLV did not cross midfield in the first half, but they're only down uh, you know, 21 in that uh, at halftime. And then they got on the board with a touchdown. So I know coaches aren't really into moral victories, but when you have a program like UNLV, you really have to think about it like that when you're playing the number two team in the country. Heck, a team that could end up number one in the country when it's all said and done. And, you know, they gave a pretty good display against, uh, you know, top-tier competition over the last few years when they went to Ohio State, played in Columbus, and again, Michigan this past week at the Big House, you know, when they played uh, USC and UCLA and others. But um, it's still going to take time. Barry, Barry Odom knows deep down inside that, you know, it's a long road. He's still got to recruit. He's got to do a better job than what his predecessors have done. And, um, you know, the Mountain West Conference is, you know, not as strong as it has been in years past. So hopefully they can, um, they can have a good showing this week. So they're back at home this week against Vanderbilt, a program that has really struggled over the past few seasons. And so Vandy will come in here and I think it'll be a good litmus test for UNLV to exactly see where they're at. So it's a four o'clock kickoff at Elysian Stadium. Rebels are back home. So make sure that you get tickets for that. Go to the UNLV um, Athletics website to purchase your tickets. Also, um, you know, there for Allegiant Stadium to get your tickets. And 4 o'clock against Vanderbilt. So hopefully, you know, team can have a good showing and come out with a W. And that would be something else. When was the last time UNLV was 2-1 and one after three games? So Barry Odom will join us on tomorrow's show. We'll talk about where... He feels his Rebel football team is at currently right now and look ahead to Saturday's game. Scott Spritzer will join us as he traditionally does. Our handicapper extraordinaire. Look forward to that as we talk college football and the NFL from a handicapping perspective. And then, of course, on Friday, back at the Westgate inside the world-famous Superbook, Jay Cornegay, John Murray, our good friends there, Marco D'Angelo will join us as well as he normally does on Fridays. So there you have it. And uh, leading up to the weekend where we have another uh, big time NFL weekend. We head into NFL week two in college football week three. And of course, on Friday, our best bet segment, uh, will be there as well. And uh, go on the website to check everything out there at tcmartinshow.com. Everything from the best bets to the blogs to the interviews and everything else there on the website. All right. So some interesting news today. And I can really appreciate this. And I'm finally saying, thank goodness, you know, that the NBA is trying to do something about load management. The NBA Board of Governors voted today to approve a tougher, tougher resting policy on rules and punishments for star players who sit out games. Now, these are going to include nationally televised games. In-season tournaments, because we know that w, uh, rather the NBA is going to that like the WNBA did, um, you know, with their Commissioner's Cup series. Uh, this also is going to uh, 
be centered around all-stars sitting out together for regular season games where sometimes we do not see, um, you know, maybe two or three all-stars on one team. They all decide to sit out at once. So this gives the league office authority now for greater oversight on disciplining the teams for players missing games. It also gives the NBA the ability to fine teams more than $1 million for each violation. Now, the new rules that mandate players participate in 65 regular season games to be eligible for postseason awards. Okay, so let's break this down. It's about time, right? So you don't usually consider a player for a postseason award, whether it's MVP, defensive, you know, player of the year, whatever it is, right? All right, sixth man of the year, if they're injured and they miss time. This should be, this way it always should be. Okay, they put in a number of games. So if you don't play 65 regular season games, you're not eligible for any of these postseason awards. So I think that is a great start. All right. The NBA also is defining who a star player is as someone who's made the all-star team or all NBA teams as any of the three previous seasons. Now, in total, there's 25 teams and 50 players that's nearly 11% of the league that are impacted by these new rules. 15 teams have multiple players who were named All-NBA or to an All-Star game in the previous three seasons. So the list of impacted players could potentially change after the 2024 NBA All-Star game because at that point in time, in February, you'll find out, okay, well, you know who's an All-Star? And so they could actually now go on this list. The NBA will incorporate a fine system as well for teams that begins with a $100,000 fine for the first offense, a $250,000 fine for a second offense, and a $1 million or even more fine than the previous penalty for each additional fine. So they're cracking down. And it's finally addressed. Now, usually you have to get approval from the Players Association because it's a, it's a joint situation between owners and, and the Players Association. You have to have this agreement in place. But the league is just bearing down here and saying, no, this is what we need to do to make our game more watchable and, you know, for the betterment of the game. So here's the... The breakdown is basically five, five sets of standards that they've, they've put here. So the NBA sent out a memo to all of its teams, and it says this. Teams must manage their roster to ensure that no more than one star player is unavailable for the same game. So I'll give you an example. We'll use the Celtics. All right, They would not be allowed to rest Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the same game unless they're both injured, all right? Now, that's going to maybe create some murky waters here as well, too. Okay, what? Well, how do we really know they're injured? How many times have we seen, you know, an injury status, and what does that mean? Does that mean flu-like symptoms? Does that mean, you know, twisted ankle? What does that mean? 
So you know that there are going to be some teams or specifically players that try to circumvent that rule right there. Teams must ensure that star players are available for nationally televised games and the in-season tournament games. Now, the NBA is really adamant about this in-season tournament, whether you like it or not or whatever. And I'm not sure I'm going to like it, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Heck, I did not like the nonsense that they've done, you know, with the postseason, you know, the playoffs and giving teams, you know, that are ninth and tenth seeds, you know, opportunities to, to get in the mix instead of just the top eight. But it's like anything, you know, fans get used to it. Just like Major League Baseball. So many fans were against the ghost runner on second base, you know, for extra innings. So games don't go 15, 16, 18 innings, right? But over time, you get used to it and you kind of enjoy it. I still, I know there are still people out there that don't like that period, don't want nothing to do with it. But this is what we're seeing in sports nowadays. All right. They're trying to make things more, you know, pleasing to the eye to keep fans engaged in these games, whether it's trying to shorten the game or now in the NBA's case, make sure that you've got star players playing, which is a real problem. All right. This load management thing is the butt of so many jokes right now. So you got to clean it up. All right. So it's good that they're taking the initiative to make this happen. Teams must refrain from having any long term shutdown or near shutdown, meaning when a star player stops participating in games or plays in a uh, materially reduced role in circumstances affecting the integrity of the game. So what they're saying here is that a team is 25 games out of first place. They're 10 games out of a playoff spot. And there's maybe, you know, 13 games left in the regular season. When you say, okay, we're shutting that player down. They're not going to play anymore. You're done. So it doesn't matter for fans if, say, it's a LeBron James and... You know, he's coming maybe to your city on the, you know, going to go play Washington and they got a game, you know, scheduled in March. Ah, we're going to shut him down. He's not going to, he's not going to make it. All right. That's what they want to try to avoid. They want to make each and every game, you know, when you purchase a ticket that you're going to get the best effort and the best, let's say, you know, presence of your team. That's what you want to see. So. Another good thing, and obviously you can tell that the league has really taken a lot into consideration here. This isn't just something that, hey, we're throwing on a piece of paper and, you know, we're going to do this. No, they thought this thing out. They also said teams must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home games and road games. So that goes to the point we just talked about, right? About, you know, fans want to see a visiting team superstar. It may only come once a season. All right. Now, they want to do this with a preference for those absences to happen in home games. All right. So you figure, for the most part, fans, if you're season ticket holders, you're going to be going to 41 games or have the ability or the chance to go to 41 games. But they realize, okay, if you're a fan base and you're a casual fan, you may go to one, two, three games. But for the road situation, you're spending money on travel and you don't get a chance to see, you know, that star visiting 
team player. Yeah, it's no good. So under the scenario, let's say both the Washington Wizards and the Portland Trailblazers, take a couple of bottom-of-the-barrel teams, they would have been investigated by the league last year after shutting down Bradley Beal, who missed 10 games, and then Damian Lillard missed 11 games at the end of last season. So they're trying to, again, you know, protect that and make it a good fan experience. Teams must ensure that healthy players resting for a game are present and are visible to fans. So if you're if you're a player and you're healthy and you're suited up, you're ready to go, right? Um you're good. But on the other hand, if you're a healthy player and you're just going to take a load management night off, they want that player to be in the building, not only in the building. They want them to be in uniform, in their warm-ups, on the bench, and maybe come out for warm-ups. Maybe take place, you know, for the shoot-around session to the pregame situation there where they're putting up some shots, or if they're not putting up shots, just be there on the bench. And they come out there, be available for autographs. Oh, I'm not playing tonight. Well, at least I got a chance to, you know, get a picture of this superstar player or maybe potentially an eight-year-old kid could get an autograph. So I think all those are, are, are pretty important elements. But yeah, the uh, that happened today. NBA Board of Governors voted today to approve much tougher resting policy um, and also put punishments for you know star players sitting out of games, put that in place. So good stuff there by the NBA with that. Now we'll just see if they follow through with that. That's what I want to say. Because the load management thing is just got downright ridiculous. Plain ridiculous. All right. Uh, we talked a lot about um, the NFL a little bit, you know, with, with the Raiders situation, the Aaron Rodgers injury uh, a little bit earlier uh, today. Again, you want to see what the Raiders can do in Buffalo. Now, I know conventional wisdom is saying that Buffalo is coming off that loss. They're going to be mad, ready to go. That's fine. Josh Allen is going to face a much softer defense than he saw Monday night against the Jets. All right. Can Josh Allen, you know, be the guy, um, you know, for the Bills this season? Because you don't want to judge by one game, but this is a guy that has at least, you know, two turnovers per game when you average it out. This is going back to last year. And the guy is a phenomenal quarterback. He's one of the best. There's no question about it. But he does have those moments where we've seen, especially in big games, where I call it the Wyoming head comes back into play. Not, you know, trying to say, okay, guys from Wyoming are dumb as a box rocks. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying these quarterbacks who don't play major college football and major conferences, this is why I was never a Carson Wentz fan, okay, from North Dakota State. Trey Lance, that's why I was, I was against him being the number three overall pick, or, you know, with the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, what are we watching here? Josh Allen, when he came out of Wyoming, it really took a long time for me to to wrap my arms around and embrace him, right? But you see this. You see it. We saw it with Brett Favre. Yes, he ended up being a Hall of Famer. 
But when he came out of Southern Miss, I mean, there was question marks. Is this guy going to be able to play at a high level without making the bonehead mistakes? And we're seeing a lot of this from Josh Allen over the last couple seasons. And he was downright awful. He's got great ability. But again, sometimes he's not thinking, you know, I mean, taking off and running and, you know, not tucking the ball away or taking the punishment, these extra hits. And that's what we saw. So Buffalo's got to clean up some stuff. They're a great team. Do I think Buffalo will come back and bounce back? I'll probably be on them uh, against the Raiders. You got the cross-country flight. You got all that other kind of stuff right now. Okay. Even though the Raiders already made their way to West Virginia to, to you know, you know, practice there. Um, that's the deal, though, here. You know, wh- what's going to happen here? Raiders got a, got a good victory, but they won't, weren't overly impressive. Could probably make the argument that Denver did more to lose that game than the Raiders did to, to win the game. But... Raiders didn't allow a sack. That was fantastic. All right. And uh they were they were pretty clean with the football, the Raiders were. So we'll talk more about that. Raiders and Buffalo coming up here in the next couple of days. All right. Want to thank Sam Gordon for joining us. Trevor Maddich, of course, from ESPN, who joins us each and every week, part of our best bets uh, each and every week as well, too. Appreciate him breaking it down from the college football standpoint. Fantastic stuff. If you missed the Trevor Maddich interview, go back to the website and check that out a little bit later on. That is in our number one. All right, tonight, we do it over at T-Mobile Arena. Looking forward to it. The Aces opening up the postseason, the playoffs. Game one against Chicago Sky. Best two out of three. All right? And the Aces want to get this done, get it done quick. They're 16-point favorites tonight. So, remember, 7 o'clock tip-off tonight at T-Mobile Arena. If you can't get out to the game, television side, it's on ESPN tonight. The radio side, 98.9 FM, Fox Sports Radio. That's our uh, where we'll be broadcasting the game tonight, 1340 AM, 98.9 FM tonight. Pre-game show, 630. Tune in. Becky Hammond, Asia Wilson, myself, and, of course, with the play-by-play at 7 o'clock. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene here tomorrow. We'll recap the Aces and look ahead to a very busy college football and NFL weekend. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2. Yeah.